Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm writer, filmmaker, and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about science fiction and interviewing Annalie Newitz and Charlie Jane Anders, authors and hosts of Our Opinions Are Correct podcast. But first, what are you reading, Bria? You know, it's weird. We're doing a science fiction episode and I'm not reading any fucking science fiction right that now. That is hilarious that we finally, after over a year, are I, doing an episode on sci-fi and you're not reading a sci-fi. Well, here's book. what happened. So I finished it after a long time and then <laughs> I was like, I want to I feel like short... I should throw you a party for finishing I it. <laughs> I know. And then I wanted to read like a little short book afterwards. And so I picked up this book, Convenience Store Woman. <gasps> oh my God. I almost just bought that yesterday. Oh, it's great. But I already had like way too many books and Alan poor Alan was carrying them around the last bookstore and I was like I don't need another hardcover I'll come back for this well it is who is the oh it's written by um, Sayaka Mirada and uh, translated by Ginny Tapley Takimori and it is really great it's a short little book if anybody's looking for just like it's a fun little escapist book I learned a lot about Japanese culture convenience stores I didn't know. I've never been to Japan. I really want to go. I have no idea. I assume this is true to life, but they have little convenience stores. I love how Bria's like, I want to go to Japan so I can go to their convenience stores. Well, now I'm very, I feel like very versed on the convenience stores (laughs) now that I've read this book. Anyway, it's, it's a really, um, like cute, but then real fucked up, dark love story. Oh, you You got me. You would really like it. I was going to say, you got me in. You got, you used the magic F word. It is, um has a lot of cringy moments where you're like no 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 and it's like but in a, but in a little short book you know what love is cringy no um, one wants to admit that there are love stories always have a cringe element but yeah it's great i i would totally recommend it for i mean it's not science fiction but i think it i would define it as like a literary fiction and i think anybody who likes literary fiction or science fiction would like it cuz there's like some elements of sci-fi in like convenience stores and the packaging and yeah. the cleanliness a convenience store is essentially just like us Spaceship sitting still. That's not true at all. What that are you reading? A, that's a great rebranding of uh, convenience stores for you. <laughs> what are you reading? I am, I am reading a really amazing middle grade graphic novel called The Witch Boy by Molly Knox Ostertag. I and saw this. Molly Knox Ostertag. Uh, she, she wrote it and she drew it. Uh, and it's so adorable and it's really good, especially if you're like gearing up. And it's October. We're gearing up for Halloween. And in the world of this middle grade graphic novel, uh, Boys get like it's like there's magic, but if you're a boy, you get shapeshifter shapeshifter magic, and if you're a girl, you become a witch and you get witch magic. But there's the main character, this boy, he has witch magic. He doesn't have shapeshifter magic, and his parents and everybody in the like they live in this like magic little magic community, and you know where the boys get taught one thing, the girls get taught the other, and everyone makes fun of him, and no one will let him practice the witch magic, even though he's good at it. And then this demon starts taking some of the students, and he knows that he can help. And it's a whole story of how like him connecting with his own magic and getting accepted, and it's so cute and so wonderful. The art is amazing. The um sequel to it the hidden witch or the hidden boy or the hidden something comes out this month and i'm very excited about it i already have it pre-ordered uh but if you are looking for a fun middle grade graphic novel that is kind of witchy but not scary definitely recommend the witch boy by molly knox ostertag which kind of uh which kind of magic would you want shape-shifting or which i want to be a werewolf do you want shape-shifting oh yeah i want witch oh no i would totally want to be a werewolf Fair. Uh, um, so mine is convenience store woman. By the way, it's convenience store. I kept saying convenience store to people because that's what we call it, I think, in America. But mm-hmm. convenience store woman. 
by Sayaka Murata and uh, translated by Jenny Tapley Tekimori. And so we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Megan wrote in, so I wanted to share a way I write down quotes. For books that I can download to my Kindle, highlighting them will sa- save them on my Goodreads account, which is an awesome reason to sync them up. For what? Other- that just blew my mind. When you highlight something on Kindle, it goes to your Goodreads account? Yeah, if you sync them up. I'm about to go and see if my Bri- Goodreads Bria's account. Bria's like, fuck this episode. I'm going to go, <laughs> go, Wait, I'm go to my Kindle. Wait, I'm going to see if my account has been putting things... Oh no! From my Kindle, what oh, if I no. what you if I highlighted something embarrassing quotes, sexy. like a description of some character's Weird. butt Weird. that Bria really liked? Me. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Uh, for other books, I use a Google Doc to type the notes out. If it's a longer quote, sometimes I'll just take a note of the page and type it later on my computer. But if it's short, then I'll just pull it up on my phone and enter it then and there. I find the Google Docs method so convenient since I can access it via computer or phone just as easily versus the note app on my phone that I cannot get via computer. I love to do this since I am terrible at remembering fine details but want to share bits of a book I am trying to describe to someone. Very, very smart. So it doesn't automatically do it. Oh. Um, Maybe there's a way you can enable it to. Yeah, you We'll do some investigating. Notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should do some investigating, but it doesn't do it automatically, so don't worry. If you've been highlighting, like... Bree's panicking right you now. Know, who knows what I... Well, a lot of times I accidentally just... I'm falling asleep and I just highlight, like, yeah, one word. sure, Bria. We, sure. But it's always the word. I highlighted but. all those butt <laughs> descriptions in my sleep. Uh, so also, speaking of Kindle, we got a cool update from a listener... Um, Remember when we were talking about how hard it was to return library books from your Kindle? It's so true. So Lisa wrote in and said she emailed Amazon with some feedback about how hard it was to return library books from your Kindle, like Mallory said. And she says, Amazon listened. They updated the software to do this from the Kindle from the home screen. Amazing. Thank you, Amazon. I'm about to go look and see about that. Oh, I'm I'm, I'll put, right I'll put a so link cool. to how to see this in the show notes. It's Paperwhite 7th generation, so you have to have that one. But um, but yeah, it looks like if you do an update, it will let, allow you to do that. What a dream. Super cool. Thank you for listening to that. That was rough on all those of us who don't want to go back on to Libby to return our books. It's just too complicated. Too many things. Also, Charlotte wrote in with her wheelhouse. We love a wheelhouse. We do love a wheelhouse. Always the door open for what, you're, what you like to read, wheelhouse. And this one is particularly good. Uh, uh, it's already making me laugh. <laughs> we love your wheelhouses, folks. They make us so happy. They're so cool. Uh, so Charlotte wrote in, uh, gentlemen magicians, Great. boarding schools, cosmic horror, body horror, Victorian slash Gilded Age classics and historical fiction, and writers being angsty. I feel like I could combine three, four of those right now and give a good suggestion. Oh, yeah. This is great. With Gentlemen Magicians, Boarding Schools, and Victorian and Gilded Age's cla- classic. I want to see Boarding School combined with, like, body horror. Yeah, that sounds... That's like that movie Raw, basically. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> really, really gross. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, so you can always email us your reading uh, wheelhouses at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Also, quick bookmark. Again, I, this, I've said it a few episodes in a row, but just want to say again, if you are a bookseller or you're a librarian, my publisher is doing something really cool, and I would love for you to be involved. Uh, email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com and make my day. And so before we talk about science fiction, we're going to take a quick break. Pop Record Panel, we have just 30 seconds to prove to Max Fund listeners that we know what the F we're talking about when it comes to pop culture. All right, you guys, let's go. Famous Chris's. Walk-in. Christofferson. Hemsworth. Karen, what's the most iconic lesbian snack? The wings at Hooters. 
The answer is fried green tomatoes. Margaret, what is the Marvel Cinematic Universe missing? <laughs> My interest. Winter, name someone who will EGOT in your lifetime. Ike Barinholtz. That's beautiful. Top Gear or Top Model? Sadly, I have to say Top Gear. The clear answer is Top Chef. But Top Model taught us about smizing. Pop Rocket, smart takes on everything. Catch us every Friday on Maximum Fun. This week, it's all about sci-fi. What does sci-fi actually mean? Is it just fiction about science? What about speculative fiction? Is it the same thing? We're going to clear it all up for you. We, we mentioned sci-fi a lot on the show, but I feel like there's a lot of people who don't, uh, like, you know, th- there's not one standard definition. So we're going to get into the weeds of it a little bit today. Yeah. So categorizing books according to specific subgenres can be a headache because not everyone agrees on everything. And there's not one widely accepted definition of science fiction. Speculative fiction is an umbrella term for anything that has fantastical elements, whether it's fantasy, sci-fi, magical realism, or horror. So sci-fi is speculative fiction. Speculative fiction is not always sci-fi. Yes. Can we get that? Like, it's like the Venn diagram of, uh, uh, no, is that what it is? A Venn diagram? Uh, flowchart? No, I don't. A flowchart? Isn't that when there's, like, arrows and stuff? Yeah, like, start up here, is this sci-fi, and go down? And... I was thinking, like, if you had a circle and it was speculative fiction, in oh, that circle yeah. you could have additional circles. This is not how a Venn diagram works. But, which no, is, you like, have, like, a bunch of science them, but... fiction. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, where it crosses over. But it's all speculative fiction. Yeah. So that's that difference where people... It's literally fiction that speculates about Because I feel like a lot of people go, they'll say to me, like, I don't love science fiction, but I love speculative fiction. And I'm like, okay, I get that. Like, you like things... Which I feel like a lot of people, what they're just trying to say to me is like, I don't love space. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and that's what we're going to, we're going to get into that in a minute. But like my favorite quote about sci-fi is from Ray Bradbury, where he says, uh, science fiction is the art of the possible. Fantasy is the art of the impossible. Sci- science fiction is technology. Fantasy is dragons. Basically. Kind of. It can get kind of... There's a lot of gray areas There's a lot of gray areas. And the history of science fiction goes back, like, as far as you can imagine. Like, since people have been writing, we've been thinking about things that don't exist. We've been speculating about things. We have. So think, like, Beowulf. Think about some stories within Arabian Nights. But there's also speculative fiction elements in Shakespeare, Chaucer. Like, you know, you go way back. Um, I mean... Like, as far as you go back, everyone loves a good mad scientist or a one-eyed monster. That's oh, just, I, like, just the situation. We've always yeah. liked it. Oh, I I agree. And so, so basically, science fiction is fiction that deals with things that are fictional but conceivably possible. And that can mean a lot of things. It's not all rockets and robots, although it can be. So in addition to being about, like, you know, sciencey things like space and time travel, it can also be about dystopias, alien visitations, pandemics, all kinds of stuff. It doesn't just mean space books. And there's a lot of nuance within that genre, like on a spectrum between hard sci-fi, which deals with a lot of engineering and very specific science parts of fiction. There's a lot of soft sci-fi, which people, I think, think more there's broad strokes of science fiction, but then it deals more with characters. I personally read a lot of hard sci-fi, but people really shy away from it. I feel like this yes. is one thing where like the science, the, like even the horror folk, you know, or the the fantasy folk, when it comes to hard sci-fi, people get really scared of it because it will be... They get intimidated. They get intimidated, which I don't think you should. I think there's a lot of really great hard sci-fi books that are can ease you into that world. But also it is sort of like opening your mind to something that's a little bit more... Um, 
it's just not something you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, so it is going to be a little bit harder to understand. But I do think it's that thing of, like, you know, you go to biology class in ninth grade and you learn all sorts of new stuff, and that's, like, really good for your brain. Yeah. Even though the hard sci-fi isn't necessarily dealing with things that are real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that means that there's sci-fi for everyone. Yeah. So there, you know, for people who like engineering and vehicles and technology, you know, there's sci-fi certain sci-fi books for people who like really introspective stories, you know, for people who love great characters, who like military stories, for people who love love stories. Like saying a book isn't sci-fi doesn't necessarily describe what kind of story it is. That's just that it's dealing with something that doesn't exist or happen right now, but it could. So Bria, we all know you love space books, but let's finally, you've been waiting for this forever. What types of sci-fi do you like and why? Okay. Oh, Here's I don't your know. moment to shine. Why is, uh, who could say? But, um, I mean, I guess I have some feelings why. Actually, I feel like uh, our interview, we go into this and they give some really good answers and I totally agree with what they said. But, um, uh, so I mostly read sci-fi and I mostly consume sci-fi media. I do consume a lot of, like, genre stuff just generally, but science fiction is sort of, like, my bread and butter of what I like to read. Here's what I love. An apocalypse. Or a post-apocalypse or like a worldwide disease or giant alien event. Like I love big, huge events. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love when as everyone is like affected by this big worldwide event. Like like the blondes is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. The blondes. Yeah. yeah. Um, like because everyone is affected by it no matter where you are. Um, but my really my favorite thing across all genres and media is that is when you have science fiction, but there's also just life happening and people are like dealing with this life. That's like the best blend for me. I'm I like love a world in crisis and I love cool science, but I also want to know like the human story of that. And I think that that's where like. Like, like they they uh, I can't remember if it was Annalie or Charlie you say in our interview, but but. I, what I love about science fiction is that you're able to, like, look at life through, like, a different lens, mm. which I think really that's why I love genre in general because it's a little bit of, like, um, it's a little bit of sugar with your medicine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like you're constant. Like, you, you get to have fun. You get to have this escapist part. But you also are looking at possible future scenarios, things that could actually happen. You also look at the way the world is divided, the way people would behave. I love, like, the human behavior when there is a crisis. I love to think about that. I always think I would be very—I would be the one who survived a zombie apocalypse. That's just my theory. (laughs) Um, But I just, like, there's, like, a—like, I think— what I love what I love that science fiction can really do is it can take these scenarios that we aren't dealing with right now, but we can take scenarios we are dealing with and look at them through a lens of a— different scenario the way i'm saying that is very confusing (laughs) but but basically if you are dealing with a worldwide crisis which in some ways we are and we have been for i mean like global warming at the minimum you know uh, trump administration at you know it's at max level right now but if you're dealing with this you can read like a science fiction book and although it feels like escapism it also is probably like your brain is working through stuff almost like a dream you know how when your yeah, brain yeah, yeah. works through shit in a dream? Yeah. Um, that's kind of how I view science fiction and horror. It helps me, like, work through the shit that I'm thinking about in real life, but I can work through my own issues. I think one book that did really well with sci it's like a science fiction sort of horror book that I just read was the new Grady Hendrix book. Oh, yeah. Um, who We Sold Our Souls, which is souls. now available for purchase. Which is about a worldwide sort of catastrophic event, but through yeah. the lens of a woman who's sort of dealing with being a washed-up, uh, unsuccessful artist yeah. 
which we all can deal with. We can all we can all relate to it some way or another. Um, and, and feeling unsuccessful, but then like, where is her place in this world? But also, she has this bigger mission, which I also think I like. God, I could talk about sci-fi all day. Is that I do like the idea. This episode of was made all, for you, Brie. All We've having, been waiting. <laughs> all having like some bigger purpose. And since I'm not religious. Maybe sci-fi is my religion. Hell sci-fi yeah. Sci-fi is my religion. Oh my God, we're getting that as a shirt. Because because I think, you know, to believe in something bigger than Can yourself is kind make... of important for our people, for humans. I think it's important. We should make genre shirts like horror is my religion, romance is my religion. We should. That's amazing. I would wear that. Sci-fi I would wear the religion. fuck out of that. Yeah. What about you? Okay, so I just talked a long time, and I don't think I gave any real information. What you do totally you, what gave you real information. So I uh, I was definitely, I used to be one of those people that's like, ugh, I don't like sci-fi because I don't like space, and you know, like, that I don't really care about spaceships. What is, it, or, what is a ghost in space? But, like, that's that's what I'm getting to is, like, I think this is to quote, I think this is another Ray Bradbury quote. I, I think I couldn't find it online, so maybe I'm either misremembering the quote or misattributing uh, it to somebody else. But uh, some some sci-fi author said something along the lines of, "I'm more interested in where the rocket's going than how it works." Yeah. So um, I don't read a lot of harder sci-fi, but I love science fiction that delves into how people are dealing with the changes that this new world or tech or whatever is bringing to society. So I feel like there's a lot of books that are considered, you know, literary fiction, or people wouldn't like straight out say that. It's sci-fi that are sci-fi books and yeah. the, like why they are so popular and work so well is because they're science fiction like station, station 11 by emily st john mandel a book that i really really loved it's a great post-apocalyptic sci-fi book it just doesn't go into the details of like how and why the apocalypse happens because in the book this like big pandemic happens so it doesn't really go into like the nitty-gritty details of like how this disease works and like how it spread but it just goes into the effects so i love that i love seeing how also i like I, it's interesting how you said that it's like a dream and we're working through things. I think when you're in a really scary time like we're in right now, uh, it's sort of cathartic to see like, oh, humanity will get through this. Yeah. You know, we are, there's going to be some survivors after whatever happened. We're going to go on. And I think like I, a lot of people may not believe that, but I do truly believe in human, I believe in like the goodness of humanity as a whole, which yeah. I get into fights with people about a lot because other people don't believe that. And I think science fiction a lot of times does carry that on yeah. like with station 11 or something like yeah. that and i also love i mean you know i love my weird shit and you know i love my horror i love when sci-fi crosses into that world i think some of my favorite favorite books are like amalgamations of multiple genres like that like jeff vandermeer's annihilation trilogy i'm crazy mm-hmm. about uh kelly link's short fiction kelly link writes just spec speculative fiction because she like all of her stories have fantasy elements sci-fi elements horror elements and they're blended together so and i think that it's the strongest parts of all of them i just love the what if aspect of sci-fi because i think people need to realize that every every book we write or and we read in every genre is a what if you know That's, that's true and just to touch on something you said i mean i think a lot of times people don't People will take a book like Station Eleven and they're like, well, it's more literary fiction. It's but it's a way to like sort shit. of dismiss the genre. It's it's just like with if horror gets too popular, it's not horror anymore. It's yeah. just it's People a like, well, supernatural thriller. I heard someone call hereditary uh yeah, or call hereditary a uh, family drama. And I was oh, like, fuck you. I was like, well, a lot of horror movies are family dramas, you know, and, and a lot I think I think it is a weird way to dismiss the genre because science fiction has been like relegated to 
you know, people are like, oh, it's a bunch of, like, dudes in a basement of their mom's basement. You know, this, like, whole, like, this trope of, like, it's yeah, just, like. it's for nerds. And, like, they're, like, and page 37. And, like, yeah. it's this, like, sci-fi, it's comic book guy nerd crap. But all, you know? but genre writing, whether it's fantasy or horror or sci-fi, is some of the most important stories that we tell. Right. You know, just because, you know, there's spaceships in it doesn't mean that it it isn't super, super, super important literature. Exactly. And also, the person in the basement is not wrong. They can yeah. also have think, have good taste. Yeah. Just because that they, like, are nerdy people doesn't mean that their taste is wrong. Damn and I think that's the right. one thing that we, like, we, like, people can dismiss it. But especially because science fiction is having such a, uh, a, a moment in television and has been for the past, I'd say, like, yeah. 10 years or so. Um, I think people are like, oh, but also I like nerdy stuff. But the fact it doesn't have to be either or yeah you know you're not like slumming it by going to like reading a sci going to read a sci-fi book no but i think a lot of times people my people who meet me and they're like oh you read (laughs) sci-fi and like it's like so much so many books like they're like i read literary fiction i'm like we're reading the same books yeah just call it literary fiction (laughs) it's like cool for you you know stop don't be a book snoot you know don't and also you know again like we said if you are not a sci-fi person don't get intimidated it's not it doesn't have to be like a hardcore super hard sci-fi that talks a lot about like computer engineering and not to say that those books those books aren't accessible and people could read them but if you want to read a sci-fi book that like isn't going to go into like the intricacies of circuitry like read kelly links get in trouble like there's so many books out there that explore the what-ifs of science fiction and it's such a wider genre than a lot of people think it is so Give it a try, folks. Yeah, try some try some sci-fi. That doesn't really rhyme. No, I tried. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I gave it a shot. Put that on a t-shirt. I still think we should make a sci-fi is my religion because I just want a horror is my religion. Yeah, there you go. Right. More t-shirts. Uh, so, so you can send your thoughts on sci-fi to Reading Glasses Podcast and gmail.com before we talk to Annalie Newell and Charlie Jane Anders. We're going to take a quick break. Shirts, stickers, patches. Posters, tote bags, aprons. Sure, you might have some of these things already, but do they rep your favorite MaxFun shows? We've got brand new items in stock at MaxFunStore.com. So why not stock up on gear that shows off the podcasts you love? MaxFunStore.com. It's good stuff, we swear. So here we are with authors Annalie Newitz and Charlie Jane Anders of the Our Opinions Are Correct podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. So yeah, awesome thanks for having here. us. Yeah, thank you. So what are you both reading right now? Well, I'm reading um, a novella which isn't out yet, so I'm going to torment people. Um, I'm reading the fourth novella in Martha Wells' Murderbot series. It's called oh. Exit Strategy, and it's everything you would hope for if you love this series, which is about a grumpy, sarcastic cyborg who is built to kill, but winds up kind of growing a conscience by watching soap operas. And it's super action-packed, and there's a lot of, like, corporate espionage and awesomeness. And, yeah, this the action-packed conclusion is definitely action-packed and, and concludy. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> the way we love our conclusions. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm reading uh, a book that came out a few years ago called Fangirl by uh, Rainbow Rowell. And it's it's a young adult novel about a girl who writes fan fiction that's 
about a fantasy series that's sort of very loosely based on Harry Potter, but she writes her own fan fiction about it. And she goes off to college and among other things, she has to deal with a creative writing teacher who really inspires her to want to write fiction as a career, but also tells her that fan fiction isn't real writing and that you shouldn't write fan fiction or that she should be ashamed of her fan fiction. And so um, it's actually, it's really interesting. It's about sort of her identity and growing up and finding herself, but through the lens of fan fiction and rainbow Rowell actually wrote a follow-up where she actually did a whole book of kind of, fan fiction of this fantasy universe that she made up that's sort of like Harry Potter, but sort of not. And so I have to now track that down and buy that because I'm, I'm now super hooked and obsessed. Oh, that's such a cool idea. That's so rad. Okay. So I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Our opinions are correct, but tell everyone else what it is. I love it. It's, it's like I told you right before we started, it's like a sci-fi nerd fantasy. Like it's exactly what I want to be talking about every week. So, but tell everybody what it is so they can, so they can tune in too. Charlie, well, why don't I'll, you yeah. start and then Annalie can pick it up. So, <clears throat> yeah. you know, it's to some extent, it's the two of us kind of picking up some of the conversations that we used to have on the blog. We used to edit together io9, except kind of hopefully going a little bit deeper into the topics and kind of talking about the meaning of science fiction, and why it's important and why it speaks to us, particularly in the kind of turbulent year of 2018. But yeah, it's basically it's about this the social meaning of science fiction. And so we've had episodes about things like <clears throat> immigration in science fiction, um, how science fiction deals with propaganda and mind control, which is a very popular episode. Um, we deal we try to kind of pick a theme in science fiction, although sometimes we also pick a story that we really like. Um, we did an episode about Sense8, which kind of led us into a really long conversation about how hard it is to write utopian stories. Um, because it is like, they're usually really boring. And, um, and so and we also, because I'm there and Charlie's obsessed with science, we also talk a lot about science. So we always find a way to kind of bring science into the conversation and, um, and talk about how that kind of fits into uh, the latest science fiction or fantasy. So both of you talk, talk about this a lot on the show. Uh, how is science fiction important to real life? Um, science fiction, I mean, a lot of people have said this before me, but science fiction is really a great place for us to have experiments that are safe, where we think through uh, the social impact of, you know, political changes, scientific changes. It's a it's a great kind of laboratory for thinking about what's happening in the present and where it might take us. Um, but it's also a place where people can work out ideas about things that are more complex, um, that are very hard to talk about in real life, such as um, things like climate change, where I think people are just exhausted reading articles about yet another hurricane or yet another drought. Um, It's very numbing. um, And it's a very complicated issue. It has scientific causes. It has political causes. It has very minor and and very major causes. And so in science fiction, where you have people all over the place grappling with this. And you can tell a big sprawling story um, as Kim Stanley Robinson does in a lot of his work. Um, You can kind of help people bring a huge issue down into a personal realm where they can start to think about, oh, here's how this affects me. Here's how this affects other people. But it's still in that safe space of entertainment and fun that 
makes it a little bit easier to kind of think about the future and where we're going. I don't know. What do you think, Charlie? That was a really I mean, long-winded answer. I think that's answer. all really true and important. I also think that, you know, right now especially, um, science fiction is important because we do live in a world that is kind of destabilized by technology and that is having rapid social and technological change that kind of makes us kind of rethink who we are and what we're doing. And, you know, just I feel like in the last 10 years, um, the rise of smartphones and the rise of a lot of medical technologies and, you know, just a ton of other things have really changed how we interact with each other. And it does feel like a uniquely science fictional moment in our culture. And I think science fiction can just help us to grapple with that. Also, I want to put in a plug for the fact that science fiction is great for escape, because Mm -hmm. especially when you're living in a time that's really dystopian and destabilizing, like Charlie said, like we need stories that just make us feel like things can get better or that just ease our pain. Oh, we agree with that. These are great answers. (laughs) And so, Annalie, you're a science journalist, and both of you are sci-fi writers who are also science nerds. How does real-life science affect your fiction writing? Constantly. I was actually just reading, like, new um, embargoed news from scientific journals, like, this morning (laughs) to to kind of mine it for interesting stuff. Um, I read a lot about ancient civilization, but I also read a lot about robots and machine learning. And I just, it helps me... um, get realistic ideas about what other worlds and other kinds of consciousness would be like. Yeah. And I I feel like I was really lucky to be a part of io9 when we were doing so much science journalism and getting to kind of help edit that sometimes and getting to read a ton of science articles. Um, I've been increasingly lucky to be able to talk to scientists when I'm working on my science fiction. My novel that comes out in February, The City in the Middle of the Night, has a lot of stuff in it that came out of conversations with scientists. And I just, I feel like um, it's just, it's more interesting when you get that reality check and when you can have that kind of, the kind of real life strangeness that that is that people are discovering in so many areas of science right now so does it ever go the other way around does your does your sci-fi fandom ever affect your outlook on what's happening in real science all the the time (laughs) i mean i find myself interviewing scientists and asking them questions that they will often say i i've never thought about that before or i never looked at it that way um because i love getting um people who are really well informed in an area to speculate about where it might go um and infor- do informed speculation i mean sometimes scientists kind of go off the rails and they'll say you know i did an experiment on rats and therefore that means all humans are are you know by nature monogamous and heteronormative um <laughs> uh, that which is not a good extrapolation right. <laughs> and not not very well informed, but um, but when I was working on Autonomous, uh, my novel, I talked to a lot of folks about um, synthetic biology because there's a, a main character who's a synthetic biologist, and it was great getting them to think about, you know, what would it take for humans to start modifying our own biology, and because there's so many taboos against it, and um, a lot of them said they felt like it was life extension, like once we had life extension that kind of people would just be like, all right, fine, let's just start modifying ourselves, like modify the fuck out of me because like I want to live forever. <laughs> um, and so, but I mean, a lot of them had other ideas too. And so that's always just fun for me is like getting scientists to kind of be a little bit science fictional. 
I mean, yeah, from my standpoint, I think that uh, fandom just shapes how I think about everything. And so I sort of view the entire world through a lens of fandom. And, you know, any situation that I encounter, no matter what, always there is like some fan meme or some, you know, moment from one of my favorite TV shows or comics or whatever that's in the back of my mind. It just it's kind of inescapable. And um, so what are some like as a sci fi nerd? I love talking about this, but what are some of your favorite sci fi tropes or tech? I mean, um, I love just like weird gadgets. I love the sonic screwdriver in Doctor Who. I love the, you know, the tricorder in Star Trek. I really wish that we had tricorders in real life that could do all the things that the tricorder can do in Star Trek. I wish, I love teleportation machines. I love the idea that you can just step into a a little platform and then wind up like a million miles away. Um, I love anything that kind of lets you short circuit past all of the kind of boring parts of life, but also just find out stuff. Um, like just be able to, know just the idea of being able to know where someone is by like hitting your lapel and saying where is this person and then a little disembodied voice would tell you where they are that that's (laughs) something i think about a lot i'm like i want that i want to just be able to know where people are by hitting my lapel computer (laughs) where is charlie jane anderson (laughs) (laughs) she's across town um i i'm a fan of giant machines huge like as big as you can possibly imagine and that's one of the reasons I love the terraforming trope in science fiction, because there's often, not always, like, I guess you could have nanobots doing terraforming, but I love the idea of, like, giant machines that are remaking the atmosphere or, like, creating volcanoes or, you know, building continents. And um, I also really like giant monsters, so that's probably why I'm really obsessed with giant machines. But I really love imagining um under like undertaking a project to rebuild a planet or to turn a planet into some other giant structure in space. Um, the way always happens in Ian and Banks novels, for example, uh, where Ian and Banks always said that a planet is a terrible waste of matter. So you might as well turn the planet into a giant orbital structure or something else that more people can live on. Um, so that's the kind of thing I love thinking about. Cool. So can you both tell us a little bit about your reading life? Do either of you have any reading quirks that you want to share with us? Uh, I'll go first. I mean, um, I'm, I've increasingly gotten to be pretty ruthless about like putting books down. If I'm not enjoying a book after the first like 50 or 60 pages, um, I will just like toss it aside. And like, I'm, I'm much more kind of, um, I'm much more, yeah, heartless about like not giving books second chances. And, you know, sometimes it's just that the book wasn't working for me personally, or it just didn't hit me the right way at the right moment. But I'm, I'm pretty ruthless about that kind of thing. If I'm not into the characters or, or curious about what's, where the story is going, then I just, I I can't go with it. And, um, also lately I've been reading, uh, before bedtime a lot more. I've been just trying to like be in a space of like, to clear my head of all the horrible political news, I, I will just grab a book and sit in bed and read for like an hour before I fall asleep. Um, also, sometimes I read fiction on my phone, which is dangerous because I'm walking around the city and I'll seriously <laughs> risk getting like run over by a bus because I'm like in the middle of a really good part of someone's story um, that I'm reading online on my phone. And so that's that's not a habit that I actually encourage other people to take up. <laughs> 
Um, I really agree with what Charlie was saying about if you're bouncing off a book after, you know, 40 or 50 or 60 pages, like you've got to set it aside. It's, it's not, it's not worth doing. Um, and cause there's so many other books out there that are great. My habit tends to be, um, I tr- I'm usually, it's not even something I try to do. It's probably cause I have a short attention span, but I'm usually reading one work of nonfiction and one work of fiction at the same time. Um, not like with one with each eye, <laughs> but like um, I'll be like, actually, weirdly in the morning, I tend to really like to read nonfiction stuff. And in the evening and afternoon, I like to read fiction. Um, I find with fiction, I have to really set aside a little bit more time so I can just get into it and really lose myself. Um, whereas with nonfiction, I can kind of pick it up, maybe read a chapter, or set it aside. Um, so it's kind of better for like bathroom reading or bus reading or whatever. So um, but it keeps my brain snapping when I can have, you know, a little nonfiction and a little fiction. See, and if you had a teleporter, you wouldn't have to worry about getting hit by a bus. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I That's know. Very true. Or biotech, you literally could be reading one with each eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, gotta get, we really got to get there. I know. Uh, so do, do you both have a book that you love to give to people? I mean, to me, it really depends on the person. I've been thinking about that a lot because there's certain there are certain books that I've given away so many times that they're just never on my bookshelf. And I'm like, wait, where is that book that I love? And it's just it's not here. Um, definitely um, Anne Leckie's book, Ancillary Justice, has disappeared from my bookshelf like multiple times. Um, and um, the fifth season by N.K. Jemison has also disappeared. Although for some reason I have a new copy. I don't know how that happened, but um, <laughs> I definitely gave away a couple of, of previous copies. Um, so those are two recent books that I've definitely like forced on lots of people. What about you, Charlie? I mean, I think the book that I give away the most uh, to people over the years is is Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. I've just given oh, that yeah. away so many times. <laughs> like, I've, I think that that's like a book that I've kind of I've spread around quite a lot. We both love that book a lot. Yeah. It's amazing. So tell us where we can find you online and also about your about your books. What can people read of yours? What do you have coming up? Um, you can find me online on Twitter. I'm Annalie N. Uh, I am. I also have a website where you can find out about my work and stuff that's upcoming, uh, which is AnnalieNewitz.com. And I, my novel Autonomous just came out in paperback in a bright, lurid green paperback, <laughs> so it's easy to spot. Yeah, yeah uh, I'm on. I'm on Twitter as Charlie Jane. And I also have a website at charliejane.com that I'm hoping to redesign in the in very, very near future uh, because it's not, it, it kind of is more to do with my previous book. My next book, which comes out, actually, I have a novella coming out in a couple of weeks from Subterranean Press called Rock Manning Goes for Broke, which is sort of a slapstick uh, comedy apocalypse adventure. And then in February, I have this novel coming out called The City in the Middle of the Night, which is about humans living on a tidally locked planet where one side of the planet always faces the sun and you're sort of stuck between boiling hot daylight and freezing colds like darkness. Oh, wow. Sounds yeah. great. And it has an amazing cover, I should say. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yay, yeah, thanks so for having to- us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. 
Now it's time to look at some book tech, advances in bookish technology. Today, we are solving a book tech problem. Anastasia asks, for people who don't have e-readers and have mountains of books, what are some sturdy, nice-looking bookcases? Is everyone just stacking IKEA Billy cases wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling? Bria? Which one are IKEA Billy cases? They're like the stereotypical like bookcases from IKEA. Are they black? They, they, come, in ex- they come in espresso or uh-huh. birch. And they're white. like, they just look like regular bookcases. Yeah, they're the, you know, the ones that are right next to my desk in my office? Like the tall ones? Yeah. Those are Billy's. They're like floor to ceiling. Uh, Well, I will tell you, they can be. They I will can tell you be. Yes. Man, you want to know where I get my bookcases? Side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> if you know me, you know I love something cheap. I love, uh, I am from East Texas, where we pick up people's stuff from the side of the road. I know everyone from New York gets really upset about this because they're like, what about bed bugs? And I'm like, we don't have that bed bug problem in L.A. I've gotten several bookcases from the side of the road, and the rest I've gotten from They're all haunted and full of ghosts, but there's no bed bugs. I wish. God, if only, if someone. Free ghost. You get a free ghost with every bookcase. If someone put a bookcase on the side of the road and put free ghost inside, I would be the first person to go and grab it. Bria would be beating the other people off with a stick. If you ever in a car with me and you're driving now, especially like my neighborhood, Echo Park is so good for uh, stuff on the side of the road. Like, if you're driving me, you'll see me like crane my head and be like, should I get that? Should I pick that up? And I don't have a like real good hatchback anymore, but when I had a hatchback, I was just throwing shit in the back of that car all the time. <laughs> Bria just um, has like a pile of furniture in her backyard, like smog from I, the Hobbit. I would, but I try to be careful about my hoarding tendencies. Um, but a lot of times, I just buy my bookshelves on Craigslist. I find they're more, they're cooler, they're cheaper, and they're more haunted. <laughs> what more could you want? Um, I also have trouble assembling things. So, like uh, an IKEA bookcase, I have one in my in my office, and it holds music equipment right now. And it, oh man, I've actually eventually hired a TaskRabbit person to put it together for that me. Is, oh, you could have hired it me. Was, I'm it really was like, good at uh, that. You had to it went floor to ceiling, and it was um, you had to screw it in oh, to the yeah. wall. Like it wasn't like a, it wasn't like you assembled. You could borrow you had to, like, Alan anytime. Yeah, well, you probably. This man did a wonderful job. I think he was French. And I, I was like, and I've called him again for things. So it worked out well for me. That's hilarious. What about you? You actually have mountains of books. Yes. Uh, I do. Alan and I have like a legit library in our house. And it is um, definitely an amalgamation of different types of bookcases. I definitely have Ikea Billy cases. I don't think there's any shame in Ikea bookshelves. They are cheap and they do work. You have to make sure that you don't put a lot of like overload them because they can fall apart. Uh, but for an added bonus, I def- if you are going to get Ikea Billy bookcases, uh, get the extenders. I think they're $30 a piece and they're basically, they like add another shelf on top of them. So oh. that would make, that's what make it, makes it look like it goes from floor to ceiling. Uh, we have three of them with extenders in our library and they're great. I like them. Um, also, I have m- bought many a bookcase off of Craigslist and a furniture app that I use called Let Go. Uh, I just put in my price limit. It's usually like 50 bucks because the Billy bookcases are 80 um, but you can find a lot of bookcases for like less I've than fifty dollars. Let go, yeah. Let go's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I'm you... looking at um the bookcases online right now. Apparently, and the good thing is that you can. Bu- Sometimes people sell their pre their pre assembled IKEA bookcases on Craigslist because they're moving. That way, you get them for cheaper, and they're already assembled. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Craigslist is the place. I mean, be careful when you're using Craigslist. I always like, I'm like, I, I bring never, someone with me. Yeah, I, I never go. Well, I mean, I very rarely go places without Alan anyways, but. Yeah, I, I mean, I did go pick up some bookcases recently from somebody right. <laughs> that I didn't, but she was real nice and I yeah. just picked them up, put them in the back of my car. 
Um, but yeah, you know, put your price limit in. You can find some really cheap stuff. Uh, someone, I feel like people are always trying to get rid of bookcases. And also, heads up, another great place is I found so many bookcases at places like Goodwill. Uh, they're really good spots to check out. If you've got a little patience and time, you can find some really nice, solid, sturdy, like all wood bookcases. We mm-hmm. have most of our, like, I think every, Alan has t- had, when I moved in, already had two that were he had custom built but every other bookcase that we've gotten is a goodwill find or a craigslist find yeah you have to do like i mean that's like your saturday where you're going to various goodwills and out of the closets and you know all Mm -hmm. those kind of places secondhand stores but But if you have the patience it's super worth it you can find really good stuff for pretty cheap yeah yeah. So uh, if you want us to solve your book tech problem or have some book tech that you want us to test out, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, so as always, we want, want to thank Danielle and Kathy who run our Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel who moderate our Goodreads page. Uh, remember that you can buy Reading Glasses tote bags and bookmarks and now t-shirts in our, yeah. re- in the, in our Maximum Fun store. Link in the show notes. They're oh, very cool. Oh, and thank cool. you for people who are sending them to us. I'm trying. If you yes. tag me, I put them in my stories on Instagram. So. Yes, they're really cool. Uh, and if you like the show, please write and review us on iTunes. It's really great for us and helps us reach more readers. If you put in a book that you love to gift to people or a book that you're reading, we will read it on the show. Uh, you can always email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast, on Instagram at readingglassespodcast. And you can always follow along on our bookish adventures using the general hashtag readingglassespodcast. Thanks for listening. And thanks for reading. Liddy said about her business. Her big illusions needed more equipment. She would have to do sleight of hand. In a room this small, people might try to come too close, drift around where she didn't want them to be, or jostle her into making mistakes. Jericho, her canvas master, reassured her. Don't worry, he said. They won't notice how you do it. They don't want to notice. They want to be mystified. Slip up, you cover it. You know how. Make them think they're seeing miracles. They'll forgive your mistakes. Jericho prided himself on his hard head and tough skin, so what he said next took her by surprise. One big thing, Jericho said, you have to love them. Excerpt from The Rope Trick by Lloyd Alexander. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.